0: Father in heaven, we ask your presence to be with us in this last hour, that you would grant us your spirit, open our minds, and show us, Lord, uh, reveal yourself to us in a special way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, I hope no one is here just because of the title of this seminar, which is the difference between men and dogs. Um, when i was uh when i was asked to do this uh, seminar i was telling i've been telling the people that uh some of my friends it's just it's like the hardest thing to be asked to talk to men about manliness it's like men don't go to manliness seminars you know and um then they asked me for titles and i was like thinking to myself i just gave them the titles frankly because i had i just didn't know what to talk about and so i said that's an easy one the difference between men and dogs is that, uh, you know, men were created in the image of God and dogs weren't. So that's the answer to that. But um, I wanted to go over um, with us. I've been going over with us uh, the book Education. We've been dealing with three, primarily three chapters. In our first uh, talk, we, had, we dealt with lives of great men, and we talked about men in the Bible, and we tried to draw attributes from their life and how that applies specifically to men living in today's society. In our last hour, we talked about how um, God has the end, how you and I are the answer to society's problems, and we are to be a counter-influence by establishing character. Um, And uh, in this, this, uh, and that was taken from Education and Character. That's the name of the chapter. This one's taken from the chapter called The Source and Aim of True Education, the very first chapter in the book, uh, Education. I want to read uh, to us a couple of paragraphs from here, and then I want to draw from those two paragraphs insights as to how it is that God intended us to be, how how it is that God intended us to be, what has happened as a result of sin, what sin caused in the image of God being reflected in mankind, and God's plan for restoring in, uh, for fulfilling His purpose even after sin. Okay? That's kind of what I want to do. I'm reading from page 15. It says, When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. First off, you know that man has created in the image of God. Therefore, man and God have these three specific attributes, which are physical, mental, and spiritual powers or nature. And in these three things, he was to reflect the likeness of his maker. God created man in his own image. And it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the creator. When God created mankind, he created them with an ability. And in that ability, in that ability, Uh, the ability that God gave mankind, it says that he was to, in his image, it was his purpose that the longer that man lived, the the longer man lived, he would more fully, more fully should he reveal his image in his being. And now it says this, all of his faculties were capable of development. And notice this is just, it's ridiculous when you think about this, all right? their capacity and, vig- and, and vigor were to continually increase. All right? Their capacity and their vigor were to continually increase. I want us to just for a moment pause and think about what it is that God designed for mankind to be. He said, I'm going to create man in my own image. He's going to have a spiritual nature. He's going to have a physical nature. He's going to have a mental nature. He's going to have a social or an emotional nature. That's how I'm going to create him, just like me. And he says, what I want for mankind is that the longer he lives, okay, the longer he lives, this is actually life, the longer he lives... the more the larger his capacity to become more like Jesus will be and the larger will be not just the quality not just the quantity but also the quality you see that do you see that there what i'm trying to say let me rephrase it god intended god intended that the longer adam lived first of all the stronger he would become not only the stronger would he become, but also not, not only would he be able to develop the thing, not only would he be able to develop his power, his physical ability, but God would increase the quality as well as the quantity of his ability to get stronger. That means like God gives you a brain, not only will God give you information to fill your brain, he would, continue to, he would continue to expand your brain larger and larger and larger, and that would continue on throughout eternity. That's what God intended Adam to be, okay? First, he says, the longer Adam lived, the larger would be his capacity to understand. That means his brain would enlarge and also the vigor would continue to increase so that the only thing that would prevent Adam from becoming God is the fact that God is infinite. You catch what I'm trying to say? That's profound. The only thing that would prevent Adam from becoming God himself is the fact that even in infinity, you cannot reach Godness. God is an infinite God. But he says, listen, Adam, Not only will you be stronger tomorrow, you will have the capacity to even gain more and more strength. The box that I give you is going to continue to get larger and larger as well as your ability to retain, to put in the box that which I'm giving you. That's what God intended Adam to be. It says here, all of his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor they were to continually increase. Vast was the scope offered for their existence, glorious the field open to their research, the mysteries of the, Bible, of the visible universe, the wondrous works of him, which is perfect in knowledge, invited man's study. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communion with, his maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever. Through the eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge to discover fresh springs of happiness and to obtain clear and yet clear conceptions of the wisdom, first of all the wisdom, of the power, and also of the love of God. god created adam with this capacity to infinitely grow and to infinitely obtain information so that as he grew and as he understood more all of this would point to the fact that the wisdom and the power and the love of god are as infinite as god himself in other words throughout eternity adam would wake up the next day and he would say god I cannot believe how... Po- I mean, you are the most powerful being in the entire universe. And then the next day, Adam would wake up, and his understanding of power would have grown more. And then he would say, Man, I thought you were powerful yesterday, but now that I understand that you are even more powerful than what I already thought you were, it just blows me away. And then the next day, he would learn that go- even, there is even more power to God and there is, there's even more power to God, and there is more. And this is why Adam throughout eternity would be happy. You get to heaven, you're thinking, man, heaven's going to be boring. It's not going to be boring because every single day, you're going to realize that the day before, you knew nothing like, the day, like, like today. And so God said this thing was to continue forever. We, Adam was to look at his creator, and he was to say, man, The love of God, it just blows me away how much God loves me. I mean, it's amazing. God's love for me is infinite. I just cannot understand and believe how loving God is. I can't take any more of this. And then the next day, God would say, Adam, I'm going to give you more ability so that you can understand more. And so the next day, Adam would wake up and he'd say he'd be blown away just as much as he was blown away the day before. This is what God intended for Adam in a perfect state so that Adam would understand the wisdom the power and the love of God. He would do the same thing with the wisdom of God. God, you're so smart. And then the next day, God would say, I'm going to allow you to understand a larger problem because I'm going to solve it, and you need to know how much more powerful and or how much more wise I am. And this he was, con- he was to continue to have throughout eternity. And then it says this, more and more fully, would he have fulfilled the object of his creation more and more fully have reflected the creator's glory. But by disobedience, this was forfeited. Through sin, the divine likeness was marred and well-nigh obliterated. Men's physical powers were weakened. His mental capacity was lessened and then it says his spiritual vision was dimmed now let me just i'm trying to draw these simple pictures because these help me to understand how 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 grave the change was all right now if if all you do is stop Adam and Eve, from living eternally, that's all you do. You just say, look, from now on, you can't live eternally. That automatically completely disqualifies us from having obtained any type of godliness, right? You see what I'm saying? Because it requires eternity to be godly. That's, I mean, it's going to require eternity for us to fulfill God's purpose for us. So if, in the end, all you all we all that sin did was to stop life. That would be the end. That's the end of God's purpose for us. That's oh it's over. But not, that's not what happened. Not only did life stop, but our mental capacities were lessened. Our physical abilities were weakened, and our spiritual vision was dimmed. In other words, what has happened as a result of sin is that you and I do not have the ability to see the wisdom of God. We don't have that ability. It is not natural for you and for me to wake up in the morning and to see that God is wise. I was driving one day on on the highway, and I was driving faster than I should be driving. And as I was driving, I just listened by the way, I've never shared this testimony with anybody. I just listened to a set of sermons called Faithful Unto Death. Have, has anyone heard of that before? A sermon called Faithful Unto Death. No one here has, just a couple of people. It has to deal with ethics and how under no circumstances should a Christian lie, no matter what. And there they gave, uh, uh, the preacher gave an example of people that have the most extreme circumstances. Like, would you, uh, would you do some crazy thing in order to save your life? Would you lie if it was, if it was a, a matter of life and death? And we just went through that whole series, a whole week of prayer. And I thought to myself, man, there is nothing that God can do. I need to be faithful to the end. I, there's no excuse for lying. I'm never to lie. And there as I was driving the van, I knew the plates were outdated. I was driving someone else's van from Virginia to Michigan. And I was driving faster than I should be driving. The policeman pulls me over, and there he asks me the question, did you know that your license plates were out of date? And I thought to myself, the wisdom of God says I shouldn't lie, but if I, but if I don't lie, this guy knows that I was driving, knowing that my license plates were outdated, he's going to think I'm irresponsible. So I said, you know, officer, I didn't know. It's my friend's car. I was just borrowing it. Man, I'm going to go back and yell at him. I ended up getting a ticket anyway, by the way, but. <laughs> there are times where we think that the wisdom of God is not going to take, is not the best course of action. Whenever I'm getting into an argument with my wife, the first thing, the, what gets me so mad is not the fact that my wife is arguing with me, but it's the fact that God won't control my wife. So I'll go into my room, and like, I'm yelling at God. God, why don't you take care of her, man? It's like, why don't you shut her up? Why don't you take care of her? That way, she doesn't have to come yelling at me. And I don't understand the wisdom of God, and because God in his wisdom sees not to shut my wife up when we are arguing, then I'll take matters into my own hand, and I say, you know what, I, I think I'm smarter than God. So I'll go after my wife, and then the end result is me sleeping on the couch. And she takes the bed. And I, I always wonder why she gets the bed, right? <laughs> it is not natural for you and for me to trust in the wisdom of God. Not natural. It is not natural for you and me to trust in the power of God. And so many times we trust our own power instead of God's power we find ourselves in a bad situation we say man if God were powerful he wouldn't have allowed this to happen so I'm gonna have to intervene here and I'm gonna have to do my own thing we don't trust the love of God because our spirituality has been dimmed and so what happens is that our vigor and our capacity they were to continually grow but not only did they stop they actually not just stop they went backwards they went backwards and so now the situation that we have is an end of life and Our capacity and our vigor have now gone downhill. They're not just stopped, they're backwards. That's that's how impossible the situation has become. It would be over, completely over, impossible if you just stopped life or if you just have your capacities lowered. But you have both of them, you have both of them. It is impossible times two. And the question is, how in the world is God now going to fulfill this when what he has to work with is this? How is he going to do it? And this is where it happens. By infinite love and mercy, the plan of salvation had been devised and a life of probation was granted. When the devil threw that at God, what God said is this. This is a situation that Satan has given God to work with. And what God did is he put a block around this. This is called life, a life of probation. He says, I'm gonna take what, it, what we have and I'm gonna make that temporary. If you were in Sabbath school today, This is exactly what Sebastian was saying. I'm going to give you a lifetime to decide for eternity. And he says, I'm going to give you a life of probation. What you do in this life will determine what happens afterwards. In the end, after this, God... Not this... God can have this pause here, but it can just be a momentary pause that continues on. That's called eternal life. In the end, God can take this and in heaven create once again the capacity and the vigor for us to become like him in eternity again. So what God does is he gives us a life of probation. A life of probation. And how it is that you and I deal with this life determines if this is the end or this is just temporary. If that's the end or if that's just temporary. That's what you and I are to determine. These are the three pictures that I want to use to illustrate what has happened with humanity. But how is it that we, in this world, go back to that? How is it that we in that world in that world go back to that? I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Just so you know, in Genesis 1 and 2, God is actively creating. Genesis chapter 3 is man's attempt to create for himself something, and that is an attempt to cover up his own unrighteousness. But Genesis 2, 25 ends this way by saying, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. That's the point to note. They were not ashamed. Then you start off chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, has God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die up to this point there was something that happened in the mind of adam and eve up to this point and that is that they believed in the wisdom the power and the love of god this in the end can be defined in one word trust all right trust faith I live in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Did you guys even know that Michigan had two peninsulas? We live in the upper peninsula. I didn't know until I moved there. The upper peninsula is basically like Siberia too. And I'm from California, so I'm not used to like, literally, we're getting snow this weekend. Right now it's probably snowing. And it won't stop until May. That's how much snow we get. We live in the boonies. We have to take our trash into the city. They don't pick it up. That's how far away we live. And in my church, there, there are these uh, wilderness survival type of guys. I mean, every one of those guys in my church, they know how to survive in the In the time of trouble, I'm set. They'll never be able to find us. I mean, and we'll survive with those guys. So those guys, if, they, if, if, if uh, this year we got, I, my wife and I, we decided to heat our house with wood because the propane was just $300 a month and like at, 70, at 67 degrees. So we said, why don't we buy our own wood? It's cheaper and we'll be able to burn hotter. It'll, the house will be warmer. So now with just a fraction of the cost, our house is like at 80 degrees, 90 degrees. We're walking around in our shorts even though it's like freezing outside. But the problem is, I'm thinking to myself, I want to save some money so I, you can get the wood in different ways. You can get long pieces of wood, just like these logs, and cut them yourself and split them yourself, or you can get it all cut and split, ready to burn. So I said to my wife, you know, I said, hey, Judy, you know, when I was in high school, I used to be like a wood splitter, and I'm good at this thing, so I'm just gonna order the big lot. She said, Israel, you better get them cut and everything already. And I said, no, I'm gonna save some money, and I want to show her my manliness. So I called the guy and I said, I want five cords of, five full cords of wood, just logs. So the guy came and dropped them off. I thought there were gonna be just five logs. This guy came with like 50 or 60 logs. No, there's more than 50 or 60 logs. My whole front yard is just logs, just like a row of logs, a pile of logs. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world did I do, man? And then I realized I don't have a chainsaw to cut this wood so we went out and I bought a chainsaw and I thought to myself I've never used a chainsaw I only used to split the wood I wasn't qualified to do the chainsaw so I called over my church members to help me and let me tell you something when you're running a chainsaw that's a life and death situation that thing kicks back you're dead if you don't know how to handle that thing they looked at my chainsaw they thought it was a toy chainsaw they come with the big old chainsaw the blade is like this big and they started telling me, listen, when you run a chainsaw, you hold it this way and you cut it this way and you never, they started, and I started listening to everything that they had to say. If the guy told me to jump five times before I turn the chainsaw, I would jump five times because I knew that his knowledge of chainsawing and of splitting wood was far beyond my knowledge. So if we were walking in the wilderness and I got like some type of an itch and he told me to rub against a tree in a certain way, I would do it because there's probably some technique that he learned from when he was living in the woods for 10 years or whatever. I would listen to whatever it is that he tells me to do because I know that his wisdom is far beyond mine. But these guys told me a story of when they went hunting one time. I don't believe in hunting, by the way, but they they do hunting. They went hunting, and as they were hunting, this guy played a joke on his friend. He gave him this thing that attracts bucks, and he sold it to him as mosquito repellent. And so the guy's putting this thing in, and he's wondering why the books are trying to, you know, uh, court him. And I said to myself, man, if I'm ever in the woods with those guys, who knows what, what they will do to me. They'll probably have me putting on some crazy stuff attracting all types of animals although they have wisdom I can't trust if they have the love I cannot trust if they have the love and so it is in order to have full trust in God none of these can be violated you have to have all or you won't have any right you catch what I mean by that you have to have all or you will not have any My mom loves me to death. There is no person on this earth that loves me more than my mother. I'm convinced of that. But if one of you guys would try to beat me up and my mom was there, no matter how much my mom loved me, there is no way on earth that my mom would be able to stop you from beating me up. No way on earth. So I cannot place my trust in my mom because even though she loves me, she doesn't have the power to protect me from every danger that this world has to offer. But Adam and Eve, trusted God because of his wisdom, his power, and his love for them. They were fully convinced of that. But what happens now in Genesis chapter 3 is that a new mind is introduced. Because of this, because of trust, everything that God said, they naturally surrendered to, and that word is key, surrendered to. They gave themselves to God naturally, without questioning, without hesitation. They did that. But here Satan says something. He says... And the serpent said, verse 4, to the woman, You will not surely die. You will not surely die. In my house, when you walk in, in the kitchen, we have a little desk, and in the desk we have a drawer. In the drawer we have a green box, and in that box we have the keys to our car. And sometimes I'll go to the car... To turn the car on and I'll first go to the box to look for the keys and the keys are not there my wife will be in the room and I'll go to my wife and I'll say hey Judy do you know where the keys to the car are and what do you think she says what do you think she says they're in the box now just before I asked my wife where the keys were I checked in the box and my wife hasn't gone to the box since because I just checked there, and then I went immediately to her. Are the keys in the box? Yes or no. I just checked. They're not there. Did my wife tell me the truth? Yes or no? No, because they're not there, right? But did my wife intend to lie to me? No, she thought that the keys were in the box. That's where they were supposed to be. That's where they always are. Let me pause for a moment and tell you that if God was just mistaken, just mistaken, If he just made one mistake, his ability to be God is forever gone, right? Because if you can make one mistake, you can make two mistakes. The question would be always in the mind of Adam and Eve, what else is God mistaken about? What else is God mistaken about? But that's not what what Satan is saying about God. What Satan is saying about God is, verse 5, For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open; you will be as God's, knowing good and evil. Satan is saying to Eve, God knows that the keys are not in the box, but he doesn't want you to have the keys because if you get the keys, you're going to be free, and he wants you to stay in the house. That is what Satan is telling Eve. Satan is introducing to Eve something that not just goes not that is not just different but something that goes against against is that how you spell it when you you know when you're writing when i'm writing up here i just don't know how to how to spell something that goes completely against what god has said he's not just saying something different He's saying something that meets what God has said face-to-face, goes head-to-head. He's saying God is lying. He's a liar. That's what Satan is saying. God cannot be trusted. His wisdom, his power, and his love, they they are there to work against you. Eve now has a decision to make. Am I going to believe what I've always believed, or am I going to believe that which is going against the trust that God has asked, that I have in God so far? You know the rest of the story. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that it was a a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now in that fruit, in many ways it looked just like any other piece of fruit. Some people portray it as a pomegranate or an apple, or something like a, a pear or something. And I asked myself the question: Did that fruit, if it was like any other fruit, did it have some type of, of of properties that gave energy? Did it have properties that gave energy for a person to have to you know to to, to 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 have energy? If it was like any other fruit, it would, isn't that right? If it was like any other fruit, there might have been some type of. Uh, properties within that fruit that would, that would give Adam and Eve energy to live and to walk, to see and to be. So then I asked myself the question was there anything really wrong with eating the fruit? In and of itself. Was there anything wrong with eating that fruit in and of itself? Yes or no? Well, it depends how you look at it. There was. Let me ask you this question just for the sake of making the point. Is there in pork certain elements that will give you energy to live? Yes or no? Pork is a protein, right? You can get protein from pork. Why don't we eat pork? Because God said, that's the ultimate reason God said. God had said that the tree was not good to be eaten. And this is what happened. Before God created Adam and Eve, he created them with mental powers, with physical powers, with spiritual powers. He created them to be entirely and wholly like God. But what Satan sought to do is to not... What Satan sought to do is... What Satan sought to do is say, look, Eve qualified the ability to eat that fruit based on what is physical. Notice what the Bible says, if you haven't, if you don't, listen to this. And when the woman, does anyone know what that next word is? Saw. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. Satan got Eve to function, not entirely in the image of God, because when you're functioning in the image of God, you're functioning in all of this thing and everything that you do. He got her just to think on the physical. She says, there's nothing wrong with this fruit. It's got got properties there that will give me life and energy and strength. And based on that, she took of the fruit thereof. What was the response? She ate, she gave to her husband. And if you read Patriarchs and Prophets... It says that when she came to Adam and she gave the fruit to Adam, that Adam was not deceived. But that Adam could not imagine life without his wife. He loved her so much, and we got to give him credit for that because we have people nowadays that don't even love their wives. He loved his wife so much that he said, I cannot imagine life without her. I'm going to eat and suffer the same fate that she. I'm gonna. That's such a romantic story. I'm gonna. I'm gonna die with you, Eve. That's what Adam. That's what Adam decided to do. But no. But this guy, he's not a real man. He's a. He's a. a, a I can't think of a word. He's not a real man, because when God comes to him, and he says, Adam, what's happening? He says, the woman that you gave to be with me. In other words, he's emphasizing, listen, God, this girl that was supposed to be by my side left, and because she left, she fell. And then she gave me other fruit and I ate. The natural response of Adam is not a response of repentance, but is actually a response of blaming. Is a response of blaming. Eve does the same thing to the, to the serpent, and in the end they blame God for creating the serpent and for giving him Eve. But the point to make here is this, that as a result of the fall of man, we became weak, less mentally capable, our spirituality was dimmed. Forever, not forever, for the rest of our lives, was our ability to, was, was, was taken away our ability to see things the way God sees them. That was taken away. Before, every decision that Eve made, every decision that Adam made, was based on that criteria. After that, it was based on this criteria. And that's how you and I live. For example, when you look around, you look at your neighbor, you go to the grocery store, person's bagging your bags. You look at that person as a guy or a girl. You look at a person as good or bad hair. You look at a person as I'll never wear that or man, I wish I had that outfit. You look at a person as ugly or beautiful. When Jesus looked at people, he looked at a person as saved or lost. Two categories. Those are the two categories he had. He looked at the people here, he would look at the people here as saved and lost. One of those two categories. Not black, white, Hispanic, Asian, boy, girl, not any of that, saved or lost. Not good hair, bad hair, saved or lost. That's how he would look at them. But you and I, we look at things on what I call the physical reality, what we could see, what we could feel, what we could touch, what we could smell. How is it that in this type of situation, less, with less ability than Adam and Eve have, how is it that now even in an imperfect situation, how is it that we can live like heaven when we are bound in sin? It's through something that is called faith. Faith is basically living as though we have never fallen even though we live in a fallen world. Let me go briefly to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 to look at the life of Moses and to draw from there the insights as, on how Moses reverses in a life of sin, in a, in, a, in, a, in a world of sin, what Adam and Eve could not do in a world that was sinless. Verse 24, it says... By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how rude how might that have seemed? I mean, like this guy refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. Didn't Pharaoh's daughter save this guy's life? He say, she, I mean, she saved his life, right? Not only, that, not only did she save his life, she gave him top-notch education, best clothes. Brother Moses was dressed very well very well uh, educated. I have a teacher from high school, the principal of high school I went to. When I got to the school, they didn't have enough room in the dorm. So the principal allowed me to live in her home with her husband and her kids. And I thought to myself, man, that's the nicest thing anyone ever did because I, I, was, I was supposed to get rejected. But they allowed me to go in that school. That school ended up changing my life during breaks, I lived so far away from home, I couldn't fly home every break. So if I stayed in the school, it was a boarding academy, if I stayed in the school, I had to work to pay for my room, board, and food. And in order for, so that I wouldn't pay, she would invite me to her home, that way I would would stay there during the vacation, I wouldn't have to work. So this lady that was so kind to me, when Mother's Day rolled around while I was in school, I would often send flowers to my mom in California, and I would send her flowers also. She was like my second mom. And I thought that's the least that I can do. To this very day, she's like a second mom to me because of what she's done for me. People in your lives, they do something for you, you repay them with kindness. Moses said, I refuse, he made a decision. I, ref- I will not call you my mother. If, you were, if, if Moses were to be here with us today, We would get mad at Moses, say, Moses, you are an ungrateful kid. I mean, this lady has done so much. On top of that, Moses' mother, uh, um, Pharaoh's daughter, she wasn't a bad lady. History tells us she was a very nice woman, kind-hearted. I mean, you have to be kind to take in a boy that was of a slave, right? But that's what she was. That's what she did. Moses refused. Secondly, it says... Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When I wake up in the morning, I don't say, "Hey, I want to choose to suffer affliction." I don't say that. I know some people that when they uh, they, they go in the sauna, they beat themselves with sticks. They they choose to suffer. You're choosing to suffer affliction. People naturally, you know, it's not in our human nature. We don't choose bad things. You don't say, "I have a choice between good and bad." I think I'm going to take the bad. You don't do that. We don't do that. It's, you, you have to be, something's got to be wrong with your mind if you do that stuff. But you will do sometimes, you will do things that, don't, that are unreasonable if it's for the better cause. One time I thought I was going to sacrifice and I said, I'm going to go to the Philippines and I'm going to give up the comforts of my own home to minister to people over there. So when I went, I said, I'm going to find someone that can go with me. And I found my best friend. We went together for three months. Best experience of our lives. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, the Bibles. The, the people of God, nice title, was, they were usually the reason why Moses was suffering affliction. That's another choice. Moses makes these weird choices, right? And then it says that he esteemed reproach greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That's another one. You have Egypt... You have treasures. Treasures of Egypt. And then you have Christ. And then he goes to himself. They say, Moses, can you draw, you know, is this greater, greater than, less than, or equal to? What do you think is greater, Moses? Here, why don't you write it? And Moses goes up and he says, you know, I think, I think the reproach of Christ is of greater value than all the money that Egypt has to offer. And you ask yourself, Moses, what in the world are you talking about? Your mathematical ability, they're gone, they're far out. I mean, Moses has lost his mind. And then it says, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. I was telling the people earlier on today, there are some people that you are to be afraid of. Some people you better be scared of. If they can beat you up, you better be afraid of those people. Moses has the most powerful man in the world before him who was angry, and he's not afraid. Why? Because he saw him who was invisible. He saw the invisible God. You ask yourself the question, what is faith? Faith is seeing the invisible. Eve saw it all. Eve saw the power wisdom and love of God. And faith is seeing those things, considering them as real as you and I are, even though they are not available to human sight. Faith is seeing that God exists and is, as re, and is with me, even though he is invisible in every type of circumstance. Faith is living as though we are part of heaven's reality, even though we live in a sinful world. That is what faith is. And so God says in the system that he has here, I'm going to create a life of probation. In this life of probation, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to give them access to faith. Faith is going to be the belief that this doesn't exist. Not this, sorry. That this doesn't exist. And if they live as though this doesn't exist, even though it is what they are, after the life of probation, I'm going to restore them to that. What God intends for mankind is to take the life of probation and to say God is as real, heaven is as real as these benches exist. Just as real as I can touch this bench, Jesus is right next to me. Just as real as this bench is, there are lost and saved people in this room. Just as real as this bench is, is the reality that heaven exists and that I can live in heaven even though I walk on this earth. That was the experience of Enoch. Enoch excelled so well that God says, you know what, you don't even need to live the rest of your life. I'll just take you up right now early graduation. That is what faith is. And so what God says is this. The difference between mankind and any other creature that has been created is that mankind has the ability to actually accomplish this. That is a difference. But the question is, will we accomplish it? It's a decision that we have to make. If we're not gonna accomplish it, we might as well have been a dog or a cat or some other type, a monkey. Because in the end, there's gonna be no difference. There's gonna be no difference. That's all I have to share. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me as I've studied it. God has for you and for me, tremendous plans to change the world if we will first learn how to change ourselves by living as though we are in heaven, even though we're surrounded by something that points completely to the opposite. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the examples in the Bible that show us the power that God has to never, ever lose. Help that power to be accessible to us and for us to take advantage of it.